I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. I'm so excited to discuss my sponsor today, which is Page One Books, because my summer book bundle is ready on pageonebooks.com. And the bundle that I've put together includes three books that I picked, uh, Montauk by Nicola Harrison, More Myself by Alicia Keys, and I Miss You When I Blink by Mary Laura Philpot, all of which have been on this podcast here. Uh, it includes a Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, Beach Tote, a cute little library card pencil slash cosmetic case, and a water bottle for staying hydrated, plus a little... Um, thing of sun lotion. So go to page1books.com, page one with the number one. So page number one books.com and check out my page one books summer bundle. Buy it as a gift, a housewarming, if you actually go somewhere or just give it to yourself. Everybody needs a treat. We've had a long spring. <laughs> page one books.com. Hi, today is day two of my July book blast, which I started yesterday with Memoir Mondays. Today is Debut Tuesdays, and I'm going to be featuring a number of incredible debut authors whose books have come out during the quarantine or around this time or are great beach reads and things you should definitely start reading now. I will be doing this for 10 days in July with lots and lots of episodes so that you all can enjoy it while it's still the summer. I hope you enjoy today's debut Tuesday. Listen to all of them some of them and spread the word. I had such a nice time interviewing Aaron Geiger-Smith about Thank You for Voting, the maddening, enlightening, inspiring truth about voting in America. She also has a middle grade version of this that she was so sweet and dropped off copies for my 13-year-old twins. So that was just super nice of her. And that tells you what she's like as a person. Erin is a freelance reporter who writes lifestyle stories for publications, including the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. She's covered everything from corporate sponsorships at children's museums to the cult following of Mexican Coke to the cult for certain card makers, type A planners conquering Disney World, which P.S. I could have written myself, <laughs> and why pattern leggings were everywhere. She worked at Reuters and Business Insider covering legal news and graduated from Columbia's Graduate School of Journalism, the University of Texas School of Law, and the University of Texas at Austin. She grew up in Liberty, Texas, and now lives in Manhattan with her husband and son. Welcome, Erin. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and talk to you about about the book and everything else. You too. So thank you for voting. This is the best subtitle, The Maddening, Enlightening, Inspiring Truth About Voting in America. And you have both this one and a Younger Reader's Edition. Tell me about these books and what inspired you to write both and how this all happened. Sure. Yeah. I guess I should start by saying the goal of the book is to increase voter turnout. So I wanted to just include all the information that would empower and inspire people to vote and bring all their friends with them, hopefully. And the way the book came about is sort of two two strings. One couldn't have happened without the other, I guess. And in 2016, after the election, there just there were so many questions that I personally had as a reporter and as a voter and just as a citizen. And, you know, the world seemed so in disagreement. And I'm from a tiny town in Texas and I live in New York City and those felt like different universes. And I've spent my whole life being able to see the commonalities and I feel like I'm very much in both places. And all of a sudden it was just different worlds. And so I just was playing with all of those things in my head and 
usually I, I write features about business trends and legal trends, and I don't write about politics. So I was trying to figure out where I fit in that world. And in the meantime, just started writing stories about female entrepreneurs and just things that I, I sort of felt like got me closer to what the bigger conversation was. And that included writing a lot about books because when times are trying, books always center you, I find. And I especially, this is a nonfiction book, but fiction is the only thing in the world that truly relaxes me and takes me out of where I am. So I started writing about mostly stories for the Wall Street Journal, books that, you know, classic books people had never read. And then the story that really kind of made me focus was talking about books that spoke the truth to young boys, because we were seeing so much, especially leading up to 2016, all these books that empower girls, which is wonderful. And I wanted to find the same for my now six-year-old son. So point being, I, I was in the book world more than I had been as far as reporting on it. And I was watching a Instagram video with Reese Witherspoon and Ann Patchett. Reese was interviewing Ann. And Anne said that she, I say Anne, I did not know her at all at the time, but you know. <laughs> That's okay. Reese and Anne, we'll, we'll just, you know, it's fine. You know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I don't know Reese Witherspoon either, I should point out, but she's feels more of a first name basis all the time. So Reese was interviewing Anne Patchett and Anne was saying that she was writing a book about women and voting. And for whatever reason, I thought, that's it. That's something that I can do as almost a side project I was a lawyer before, a reporter now, and I just thought, I want to try to be a part of that. And so truly out of nowhere, I emailed Ann Patchett's publicist and offered my services. If Ann needs a researcher, I would like to do it. And I was able to hopefully not sound like a crazy person by pointing out all of these books I'd recently written for the Wall Street Journal and the legal stories I'd done and kind of the work that I did and just said, I mean, this is a massive project. And if Ann needs help researching or conducting sort of background interviews, I'm happy to do it. And honestly, assumed I'd never hear anything of it, but I was inspired by the project. And then in a very short amount of time, I got an email from Anne who said, let's talk, what do you think you can do for me? And so I developed, quickly developed a plan of how I would research this. And within a couple of weeks, Anne and I had met, she lives in Nashville, but had come to New York for something. And we just sort of worked out what this would be. And the idea was I would research a topic a month and send her a packet, which she would kind of sit on because she was writing a novel. And that's the novel that turned out to be The Dutch House. And the goal was for her to write that novel in 2018, me do all this research, and then hand it over to Anne to write the book. And then in August of 2018, Anne... And she tells the story on her book tour. I'm, I'm not <laughs> telling stories out of school. And says that she realized she had made a massive mistake in the Dutch house. And she, or what, what the massive mistake in the novel that she had written. And she trashed it. She threw it away. Her entire novel. No one read it but her. And she said, I messed up and I have to start over. And it was going to make the time crunch for the timing for this book a real crunch. And she just... She said, Aaron, you've been doing all the research for this book. You have become passionate about it. And I had, I had stopped, essentially stopped doing my real work and was spending all my time researching this book. I would send Anne the packet. She was like, are, are you maybe spending too much time on this? Because I just, I couldn't stop. I really became obsessed. And so Anne was like, this is yours. This is your book. It's not mine. 
see if you can make it happen. And so we very quickly, the timing at that point was, so this was uh, September of 2018 and it would need to be wrapped up by, you know, first draft of July of 2019. So it was then a, a quick move. So I came up with an outline and just was able to quickly sort of present it and show what I would do with it. And so that's the, that's the publishing story of how this book came to be. And then the first string is the reporting of, I was already in it. And then this kind of just came. It's the craziest story that there is. As a freelance reporter, you have to do a ton of hustling. And so this was all of a sudden I was doing some publishing hustling that I hadn't realized I was going to be doing, but it was. So you basically um, accidentally, so you accidentally wrote your own book. I, I accidentally wrote a book. Exactly. <laughs> and then wrote two books. And then, then after we were working on this, they decided it would work well for this, the young readers, you know, as parents are preparing to vote. Obviously we want to help our kids prepare to vote too. So that was, that was the idea for the young readers. And, and that didn't come about until probably five months into writing the the adult book. So it was a very quick clip, but I had spent at that point, nine months really diving in. And as I look at it in hindsight, I was researching it as if I was going to be writing the book myself, even though that wasn't the plan at all at the time. So I'm grateful that I couldn't stop and became obsessed or I might've been in, in real trouble. So I read a bunch of your previous articles for the Wall Street Journal and all the rest. Oh, and Talk, I read about why, you know, patterned leggings are now oh, that, <laughs> all listen, the rage. That and, story. I, I mean, it's great. I don't know. I don't think I can pull off the patterned leggings that well, but you know, my, my daughter loves it. So that's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's, listen, I wrote that story because I was, and mostly still am a purely black leggings workout person. And then all of a sudden it became, I was nearly one of the only people the leggings just got wild. And that's, you know, it's a great consumer story. It was a tough sell at first, but then I had some female editors in the realm who were like, no, really, that's, that's the thing that's <laughs> happening. And that's one of those stories I got so much feedback on. You never know what's going to hit people, but that one, the pattern leggings was a, and, and it was one that as I wrote it, it's all female owned businesses and mostly young people are, who were making it work. So it was a really fun story. I also read how super type A planners tackle Disney World because I wrote a similar thing, which I don't think I ever even published. I just like gave it to all my friends because they knew that for a while I had been going to Disney World quite often. And it was something like the neurotic New Yorker's guide to Disney World. And basically like I had all, all the inside scoop on Disney and I was like, oh my God, here's like, this is it. She did the same thing. <laughs> you did all the research. I'm glad that it, it tracked for you. And I wish I had known to call you at the time. That was another, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. And then also I think it scared me because man, you have to work to, to make it work. And so I just, I feel sorry for my six-year-old. I'm waiting for him to to demand the Disney trip because it almost scared me. <laughs> it had to be done, but I loved hearing about people's like intricate planning. It was very... It was fun. Well, my point in bringing up some of your past work and your, you know, profile of the Juice Press owner and just like all these very relatable lifestyle type features. How did you go from those? And I understand how I, now I know the story, but 
What is it that brought you from that type of writing to the obsessive part? That's what I find super interesting. Like, how did you become obsessed with this? Had you yourself been thinking about voting? You know, was this like a a latent interest of yours that then just percolated because there was the opportunity? Like, or was it completely random? Like, how did you get there? Like, what made you so obsessed with it? I had, I mean, before I was a journalist, I was an attorney. And so I went to law school and, you know, you read all of these, the major civil rights and voting law cases, and then, and, and learn about the passage of the 13th, 14th and 15th amendments ending slavery and, you know, all of those things. And so the legal side of me is always there. And I found all of those cases interesting and sort of never gave that up. And then when I was a legal reporter at Reuters, you have to follow, of course, all the current day cases. And so I never sort of left the world of knowing what was happening in the arena of voting rights, but I had never fully focused on it. You're absolutely right. It was just the idea of, I always kept up to date without diving in. And then what really sort of got me on the track of being obsessed with voting was all of the questions that came up after the election of the electoral college and you know what happens when the popular vote and the electoral college vote don't match up and i knew i knew that but i didn't know how many times it had happened before or what the protocols were and then just all of the stories after the election on voter turnout and i just couldn't believe how low our voter turnout is for younger people. And so that was a thing that I just kept. I mean, I, I'm in a, I read way, way too much news and always have. So I think all of those seeds were there. And then just once I started really diving into the history and, and laying out the timeline of those Supreme Court cases and how much it impacts current day, that's when I just like couldn't let it go, basically. And it just seemed like a way, I mean, it sounds so like obnoxious in a way, but I was trying to find what, what part could I play in helping us be a little more active. And I'm not a person who, you know, I talked to so many people in the book who were so inspiring that just saw the issue and created organizations and rallied people. And I'm much more, I mean, I'm not a shy person. I'm clearly, as your listeners can tell, often talk too much, but I'm much better at digging into the words and what's there than I am at standing in front of people and talking. So this just sort of felt like my way to get good information out there. And then it was also, I couldn't stop because I learned so much. And I would have thought because of my background that I that I understood what was going on with voting and I understood what voter suppression was still happening. But I... I I understood it at a top level and this let me keep digging and digging. And I, I was learning so much. It was in a way it was a selfish project too, because I learned so much about something that, you know, we all do regularly or should do regularly. If, If you're lucky enough that your parents taught you to vote, generally you go and vote pretty often. And I had taken that for granted too. The being that my mom brought me with her to vote. We live in a really small town and we would go to our library and she would chat with the, poll poll workers and I would listen for gossip because that's how small the town was and we'd vote and it was done. So it was just something that I always did. And then when I started researching and realized how we just 
fail our young people by not teaching them how to vote. And then we get upset when their voter turnout is low. Well, if no one's taught you that you have to register and in many states, 30 days in advance, there's just so many little details. And so I was so moved by the people who were doing that work. And this seemed like a way to tell more people about their work, essentially. That's awesome. I remember taking my twins when they were really little and it was so cold out and the line to vote was like wrapped around this outside courtyard that was like six kind of basketball courts all lined up outside in some sort right. of school or something. And I mean, they still are like, can you remember that time? We had to wait an hour and a half to vote. So I know. I'm like, yes, I remember that time. Great to take them though. Yeah, it's great to take. I mean, I don't know. After that, they were like, I'll pass. But <laughs> <laughs> So in all your research, if you could think of like the most powerful thing you found or that you would want to say about voting or that could convert non-voters to become voters? Like, what would that be? What was like the most powerful thing? I think the most powerful thing sounds like such a simple thing, but that is that the person who has the most influence on getting people to vote is you. You have the best chance of getting your friends and your family and your colleagues. And, you know, if you go to church or synagogue, those people to vote, if you help them learn the rules and provide them a plan. And those things can actually be pretty, it's pretty simple to do once you arm yourself with the information. And I think that that is the most important takeaway of the book is that I hopefully help you learn the websites that you can find that information on. And then if you just start a text chain with five people that you want to make sure go to the polls and to think of those, you know, if you have friends that you know are going to vote, don't, you know, maybe don't choose them from your text chain. But if you have a niece who's turning 18, as I do, it'll be her first time to vote. You know, people like that, that you can make sure today's the last day to register. Okay, make your voting plan. Look up where your polling place is, especially now. What are the vote by mail rules? If you can help people with that information, it can make a big impact. And if we all did that, I think it can be a big, a big change. And then I think the second thing is one that requires a little more educating. But I do think those of us who are lucky enough to be able to vote easily and have mostly always been able to vote without trouble, if we can educate ourselves a little bit on whatever is going on in your state, you know, see what the League of Women Voters is trying to do in your state. And it's on their website. I mean, you can go to the League of Women Voters website and it tells you sort of what lawsuits they're involved in or, or organizations they're helping out. I think understanding what's going on in your state to make it easier and more convenient to vote is the second step for those with a little more time and inclination. I loved how in the back of your book, we're on Skype, so nobody can see this but you and me, sorry, but I am showing that you have this great checklist of all the things you need to know with like, thank you for voting a checklist, what you have to do today, what you have to do 40 days before an election, 30 days before an election. This is like really great information, 10 days before, the day before, and then on election day, what you have to do. And then you have this great thing called thank you for voting, tell your friends. And you have like this little, it says dear at, 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 at. Let's make our voices heard on election day. I pledge to you that I'm going to vote in the next election. Will you pledge to vote too? Thank you for voting. And then you're supposed to put your name. So this is great. It's like a whole campaign you can do on Instagram at thank you for voting to spread the word and and make it all viral. So at thank you for voting would be a great. uh, Yeah, I'd love to see people do that. I'm very excited for it's, you know, once a book actually goes out in the world, I hope that people do that. And I'm a big 
checklist person. And so I wanted to include that because I think it's so any voting can be overwhelming, but I felt feel for myself and hopefully by laying it out can kind of, you know, if you're a checklist person, it's right there, right there for you. So Erin, what are you working on now? Now the book is coming out. Not that you have to be working on anything, but I'm just wondering. You know, I don't, I, I don't have any big project that's next. I am excited to hopefully get back to writing a few stories that take me, you know, a couple of weeks or a month to write instead of a year and a half when you're used to being a newspaper reporter. And, I, and I'm, when I was at Reuters, it was, you know, I'd write two or three stories a day. Now I get to spend a couple of weeks reporting, but I wouldn't mind doing something that runs a little quicker. But I, I would, I'm hoping, you know, the way the news cycle was with coronavirus and then the protests, there isn't a lot of room in the news right now for freelancers to write feature stories. That's just not where we are. But hopefully if things calm down a little bit and we have time to take a larger view, I I hope to write stories highlighting what the people in the book are doing right now, because of course the nature of a book is you have to cut it off a little early. So they've started all different new initiatives. And so I want to write about that. And I'm really anxious to write more. This is the same topic, but on how companies are helping people to vote, because I think that's anyone who works in the corporation could get their corporation to help employees and customers vote. And there's easy ways they can do it in nonpartisan ways. And I think that has a chance for a big impact. So that's a business story I want to write soon. And then otherwise, I don't know. I'm anyone. I love authors. My quarantine book club has saved me. I have a lifetime of admiration for people who write books. And then after doing one, it is times a hundred. And so I think, you know, when they diving back in and writing another one is so, so impressive to me. So while I hope to get there, the people who end and immediately have an, a new idea, hats off, hats <laughs> off to them. Because I am, I am not there yet. I'm hoping to read some more books. I feel like writing the book, and when we've been in quarantine, I've been able to read a ton, but I, I missed so many books while I was writing this one. Do you have any advice to aspiring authors? It's so hard. I think, like I said, I, if it is in you that you want to write a book, I think that's wonderful and probably the most important ingredient. I think there's no magic to it. And part of the way I was able to do this was because Anne gave me such amazing advice and the way her process is. It's just, it's work. You have to sit down and do the work and put the words on the page and set yourself up by doing the necessary preparations. And so I think in the best way possible, it's not magic. So often I think when I was younger, we'd look at authors' work and just think, oh gosh, they just, they had this idea and they write so beautifully and it just, you know, fell from them basically. But now I, you just have to think every sentence has been worked and reworked and Sort of one thing, I don't know if this is helpful to all writers, but that I tell younger reporters all the time who are hesitant to get started because I often find for myself, I talk myself out of ideas and just don't know how to get started because I can be overwhelmed with how well other people do it. But just anything you read in the newspaper or books, I mean, 18 people have probably looked at that and helped improve it, you know? And so just getting it down and then recognizing how much work you get to do on the back end, I think is important too. And seek out good readers. That's also what I would say. So important to not get trapped in your own 
mind, which I think is so easy to do. So find people who are going to be read your work and be kind, but honest. I think a kind, but honest reader is the most important one you would have. Maybe that is my, it took me a while to get there. Maybe that's my top advice. Find a kind, be brave, take the leap and find a kind and honest reader. Find an honest reader. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks, Erin. Thanks for coming on the show and thanks for inspiring all of us to vote. It's so important. I will be touting your message and, you know, tagging you and all the rest, especially as we get closer to the election. So thanks for getting ahead of it and having this book come out and all of it and uh, helping improve the country, really. So it's important. So important. That feels big, but I still just say thank you. And I hope the book is helpful. And if people have voting questions, I'm easily findable on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm happy to try to find the answer for them. It's not in the book. Ask me and I'll search it out. Well, my my last question to you is I'm loving the dress that you're wearing, which no one can see except for me, which is like oh, a blue. Those you. are my favorite colors. It's like a blue. and I, You're wearing blue too. I, I know. Like I love it. Where do, I have to, well, maybe I'll cut this part out, but where did you, where did you get that dress? <laughs> I think that this is, it's a shirt and I think it's Maria Cornejo. Okay. I'm literally like, would go buy the same. I'm like obsessed uh, with it. You look great. It's, it's awesome. Just, just last year. Awesome. Thank you. All right. And I'll show you. Oh, thanks. so cute. <laughs> yeah. So cute. All right. <laughs> well, thank you again. Thanks for coming on the show. And thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Bye, Aaron. Thanks for listening to one of my debut Tuesday episodes in the July Book Blast series. I really hope you enjoyed it. And it's really my pleasure to bring you some debut authors you might not have heard of or have listened to. So enjoy. I hope you really got a lot out of it. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at ZibbyOwens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much to Page One Books for sponsoring today's episode. I hope you'll all check out my summer beach bundle at pageonebooks.com. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Thank you.